You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. Welcome to the Week 12 edition, the Thanksgiving edition of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, per usual, you know, we got our waivers. Um, not a huge week in waivers, but definitely a couple guys to help you with a stretch run toward the postseason in your fantasy leagues. Then we're going to talk about just another really unfortunate injury. You know, I didn't think something could be on the level of Dak and Kittle in terms of just what's good for football, but this Joe Burrow injury was, uh, you know, obviously a blow to your fans team. So one of the few nice things we had in football in, in 2020, everyone was rooting for this guy. Um, so hopefully you can recover. We'll talk about the fantasy implications for the Bengals uh, coming up here. And then in a little Thanksgiving special segment, we're going to talk about a couple things that uh, myself, Mike, and Dalton are all thankful for in the context of football and especially fantasy football this year. So let's dive in with the number one waiver ad this week. Now, there's a bit of a caveat here. We are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. The Ravens and Steelers are scheduled to play on Thanksgiving. Right now, the game is on despite a big COVID outbreak in Baltimore, but Ingram and Dobbins cannot play because they're on the COVID list, which leaves us with Gus the Bus Edwards. Uh, Mike, I know we were all praying for that Dobbins breakout, and of course we finally get it, and here we are. We can't use him the following. This is David Wilson stuff all over again. Um, but Gus Edwards, is he a guy you'd be excited to start if this game happens and uh, uh, without Dobbins and Ingram? Yeah, so first we need to discuss that we're not 100% sure that this game is going to take place right. on Thursday. Right. If it does take place on Sunday, there are concerns that maybe Dobbins or Ingram are active, and then it becomes he becomes a little bit worse of a play. But what we do know is uh, a few weeks ago when Ingram was out and it was just Dobbins and Gus Edwards, Gus Edwards ran 16 times for 87 yards and a touchdown against the Steelers. So I think that he's a very nice plug-in as like a running back two for this week if you need a running back if you don't need a running back there's somebody like James White who with Burkhead's injury kind of becomes the mainstay for Patriots passing downs when Damian Harris will play the early down so both of them are really nice pickups for this week if you need some running back depth yeah and the, the Patriots um their defense isn't what it was and so they're gonna find that they obviously have been put it lightly inconsistent moving the ball through the air you know we have that have a Jacoby Myers game and a half we have Demir Bird but other than that you know with the defense not always being able to stop people we could be in line for a lot more uh dump off passes to a guy like like James White you know Damian Harris is not really targeting the passing game and the other back JJ Taylor and of course uh, Sony Michelle aren't either so you know Burkhead was getting a lot of those uh, a lot of those catches and even a lot of those red zone looks. So James White would be a good replacement if you just need, you know, at this point, 10 points in your RB2 spot. You kind of just hope your wide receivers can take you the rest of the way. Um, Dalton, any opinions on Edwards or James White? Do you have a preference between the two or, or um, caveats? Yeah, I, th I think it really depends on uh, where my team is in terms of playoff hunt and whatnot. Because I think a guy like Gus Edwards... I think it's important to note that they are playing Thursday, which Dobbins and Ingram, assuming that all assuming that the NFL schedule stays as is, um, they're going to be out this week, which means that Edwards is not only going to get a big role this week, but 
they're also playing next Thursday night as well. So it's also going to be a short week for Dobbins and Inger to potentially get back healthy. So that would give them roughly nine days for them to test five straight days of negative tests in order for them to get back, which is still a massive question. So you could potentially have Gus Edwards for not only this week, but have him for next week as well as you're making a playoff push. If I'm a playoff team, I already have a team locked up, potentially have a bye. Um, then I may be looking at James White. I think James White has more of that rest of season value there. And I think he has that safe floor that you can run in as like a back end, like RB2 that we've seen from James White in the past and a team lacking a lot of playmakers in that um, uh, receiving game. So I think that he can step in there very nicely for them. Yeah. Uh, and especially if you're looking for someone to get you 21 carries for 67 yards, I think Mike has some really good news for those of you <laughs> in the market for someone of that caliber. Frank Gore is your guy. He's become even more bankable with the injury of LaMichael Pirine. Maybe he's going to face some competition from Ty Johnson. If you want to bet on Ty Johnson, this is your chance to get some value from him. But I think one thing that we can uh, know for sure is that Adam Gase will make sure that his guy, Frank Gore, gets at least 15 to 20 plus touches with Pirine out. And what for what that's worth on the Jets, I don't have anything good to say about <laughs> it. But, you know, uh, it, it, it might be, if you're in a 14-team league, the best that you can possibly do. So, um, Mike, you're between, between Edwards and White. Let's say Edwards does play on Thursday. Uh, do you prefer him to White? I, I do for this week. I agree with Dalton where White's going to give you the rest of the season value where week 13, we expect Dobbins to be the guy for um, the Ravens or maybe if the COVID thing lasts a little longer, Dobbins will be sitting then. But week 14 through 16, we would expect Dobbins to be the guy for the Ravens. With James White, I think if the Patriots are paying, playing a team who's superior to them, we can expect White to be in the game a lot with Burkhead not there. Damian Harris can get phased out in those situations. Uh, so there is a lot of potential. I think that this week he had 14 expected points. So you can expect him to get 10 to 14 points in your running back two slot and some teams that's their weakest position so he could totally be an under the radar guy that provides you with a lot of value for the rest of the season at a cheap price while everybody's busy preparing for thanksgiving and thinking that gus edwards is the main waiver pickup this week okay yeah love the uh love the optimism for your uh quote-unquote hometown new england patriots there um, but yeah, I, I do think that James White, I like him as a long-term pickup as well. Why don't we move on to the wide receiver position? Um, we haven't talked about this guy in a little while. And by a little, I mean probably a year and a half at least. Uh, Nelson Aguilar. We, first it was Tyra Williams, and then we liked Brian Edwards a lot. Oh, but here comes Henry Ruggs as well with a huge touchdown a month and a half ago, two months ago. And now it's kind of down to just Darren Waller and company. And Nelson Aguilar has really stepped up, you know, his past few games, uh, six for 88 and a touchdown. Then he had a one for eight before that, but a 255 and a touchdown. And then a dud before that, but then five for 107 and a touchdown uh, in week seven. So, uh, I mean, it sucks to recommend Aguilar, but he's got Atlanta and the Jets coming up. Doesn't look like Ruggs is ready is he someone you're considering picking up if you have a guy like Tyler Boyd or T Higgins, if you were counting on them? Is Aguilar someone we want in the short term? 
I think that you're going to get better quarterback play with Aguilar. He hit 15.9 expected points last week, but he remains a kind of a desperation play for me. Not a guy over Boyd or Aguilar who are kind of my guys. I'm probably biased. Boyd or Higgins. Them, but <laughs> Boyd or Higgins, yeah. Um, the issue with Aguilar is just like you were saying, there's going to be a lot of inconsistency. I think Darren Waller is the main cog of the Raiders passing game and the other options are kind of going to be week to week guys. Ruggs is going to break for a big touchdown one of these weeks and there's Aguilar and there's Hunter Renfro who may actually be the best wide receiver on that team. So with all these guys, they try and get Brian Edwards involved. Um, and I, I'm just not sure that you're going to have much reliability when it comes to Aguilar. I prefer these younger guys who, although Higgins may not have the quarterback play for the rest of the season, there's a lot of reason to think that he may be an alpha dog wide receiver one type player for his team. I, I don't think Aguilar is that guy and betting on these uh, veteran wide receivers to pop later in their career is just a low probability bet. So unless this was a passing offense led by somebody like Patrick Mahomes, where every week we think there's going to be guys who are dominating kind of regardless of their talent. I don't feel that way about the Raiders and I don't feel that Aguilar is a great talent. So he's not the kind of guy that I want to chase through waivers. Dalton, do you disagree with me? No, he, he's, he's just someone that like at the end of the day, it's like if you need wide receiver help and he's available, like I'd go get him, but he's not someone you're, you're bending over backwards to get because again, he's, 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 he's a back end wide receiver three who can provide you with a good week. Like we saw this week here and there. Um, but again, in that offense being the number two and potentially even number three is guys like rugs and Edwards start getting more playing time. Like he's, he's a good player, but he, he just is not someone that I'm overly excited about. Um, in, He's been active for every game this year, and in week seven, in last week, week 11, he had nine targets, and every other game he's played, he has not had more than four. So that probably says we need to know about Nelson Aguilar, but if you have some, if he's the best available in your league, he's the best available in your league. Um, what about, you know, we, it's a shame to see Julio Jones continue with, uh, you know, some uh, soft tissue injuries. You know, now it's his hamstring that seems to always be something quad hamstring calf. Uh, he seemed 60% in that really bad loss, in new Orleans. It's a shame because he still, he still is an absolute baller when he's healthy, but his body's starting to betray him is Russell gauge. Now, once again, fantasy relevant. I mean, we saw a snapshot of what Matt Ryan did without Julio Jones earlier this year. Um, and now, granted, Russell Gage was inactive for some of those games, but um, it's it's not good. Julio really does make that offense run. Do you prefer Gage to Aguilar, though? One thing I'm going to note before I get into Gage versus Aguilar, we didn't touch on Taysom Hill, and I think we're assuming that he's owned in most leagues, like he is in most Apex leagues. But if there is a chance that nobody was paying attention and Taysom Hill is available in your league, he hit 30.3 expected points this week, 13.7 uh passing 16.6 rushing and he's just a guy that's going to dominate whenever he gets starts so if you need a quarterback you're fighting for a playoff spot definitely bid a lot for Taysom Hill I think you you can argue that he's a top five quarterback the rest of three to five games until Breeze comes back so if you're fighting for a playoff spot he's probably a guy that you want on your team now back to Aguilar and Gage the tantalizing debate I would probably go with 
gauge uh, while Julio is out, um, just because of the sheer amount of pass attempts the Falcons are going to have with such a bad defense. Uh, Aguilar hit 15.9 expected points this week, and we saw that it was the biggest workload that he's received all season. Uh, Gage was at 18.2 expected points. He underperformed that, but I think if Gage is on the field healthy, it's going to be him and, well, behind Ridley, receiving a lot of the pass attempts. And it's just a play based on the sheer amount of pass attempts that the Falcons are going to have and their lack of options to throw to. And you're kind of guessing that Hayden Hayden Hurst and Gage are going to be the guys who benefit there. And I don't think that's a wild take. Yeah, you could be bit in the back with Zacchaeus getting a bunch of playing time. Yeah, and I was going to say, don't targets. forget about my guy Olamid. Yeah, there, there are other options, but I think we can safely assume that Gage is going to have... 10 plus expected points in a case of Julio sitting out. I don't think that's a wild bet. I think Aguilar, you could just be hit with a three point game from, and it really wouldn't be that surprising because of their amount of pass catchers on that team. Yeah, I think Gage at least has like a seven point floor, but his ceiling, if he doesn't catch a touchdown, is probably like what, 16 and eight for 80 game. You'd be pretty thrilled with uh, if you had Russell Gage. Can't expect much more than that. Um, Dalton, any thoughts on Aguilar versus Gage, or is there um, uh, is there something Mike and I didn't touch on? Um, I mean, if I have to start Russell Gage in my flex, like I'd probably just rather gauge my eyes out at that point. But I think I'd honestly uh, rather uh, 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 move uh, towards uh, uh, a guy like you've been Aguilar. holding on to that gem for weeks, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think I'd uh, I'll, I'll probably lean Aguilar though. Um, just because Gage, he's had some volatility. And even when Julio was out, he wasn't necessarily seeing massive targets. There was actually a guy like uh, Zacchaeus that was getting some of the work um, in that scenario. But again, he has had you know three games with over nine targets and two of them being 12-target games. So it's totally possible that in a in a scenario in which the Falcons are out of the playoff hunt, that you know they aren't going to be rushing Julio back. So he not only could be out maybe one week, but maybe potentially another week as well so you may have that couple week kind of window um where you can uh, start him and probably probably has more um flexible week uh in the in the short term but i think Aguilar over the full season is someone i'd probably feel more comfortable with because Derek cars are playing at a phenomenal level yeah not not exactly the the debate of you know moss or jerry rice that we're talking about here not exactly a huge week for waivers either but you know we uh we serve all those, including those in 16-team leagues and those in leagues with 25 roster spots. So maybe Aguilar or Gage are the best guys available. Why don't we move on to somehow an even more somber topic than Nelson Aguilar versus Russell Gage, and that is Joe Burrow having a devastating knee injury. Now, this is similar to the one that Carson Wentz suffered, and I think it was week 14 a few years ago. Uh, it was it was later in the season. It was December 17th, I believe. Um and he missed the first two games of the season, wasn't right the whole year the next year. Um, it, it, it just sucks to see because, like I said at the beginning, he was one of the few great things. Everyone was rooting for Joe Burrow, right? We loved watching him. Um, but why don't we talk about what this means for the Bengals' offense, especially what it means for guys like uh, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Do you think um, one gets downgraded more than the other. Maybe Higgins gets more deep shots or obviously it's bad for both, but are you differentiating the, uh, the effect on both of them? And, um, 
do you prefer one to the other going forward? Where do they rank? And uh, like, are they wide receiver threes, wide receiver fours? Talk to me, Mike. Make me feel better about this. I can't make anybody feel better. Unfortunately, losing Burrow is just awful for for everyone involved. Um, I think that Boyd is affected a little bit less. I believe he had some usable weeks last year when Finley started. Nothing to get too excited about, but I think that he can remain a wide receiver three if if low end. I think kind of Christian Kirk without probably that touchdown upside, but more targets coming to him every week. So Boyd is where I would lean Higgins. I think this week, again, had like 16.8 expected points. So the targets were there. Burrow didn't connect with him. Finley didn't connect with him. And I'm concerned that he's going to be relying on some deeper targets that take a more talented arm in order to convert. Maybe they get him more involved in like the screen game because he's such a big physical specimen. Um, But I do think that there are very real concerns about Higgins and Boyd uh, in this post uh, Burrow situation. So I think that somebody like AJ Green becomes not playable at all. And Gio, you're kind of, he's still a low end running back too, but I think you're relying more on the catches, which he'll probably have more of because Burrow is testing defenses down the field. Uh, but you lose some of that touchdown equity. Everybody involved loses that touchdown equity. And I think the playable AJ Green weeks mainly came on the back of touchdowns and volume. And like I don't think you can re- six or a five for 50 and a touchdown sort of thing. Yeah, he wasn't converting on the targets that he was getting. Uh, and now he's going to get fewer high value targets he's not going to have any touchdown upside so I don't think you want to rely on him anymore at all and Boyd and Higgins have more talent and maybe they can make some plays to overcome it but both kind of fall into that dangerous wide receiver three territory yeah um, and I'm, I'm looking right now in the games that uh that Ryan Finley started last year Boyd went he went six for 62 on eight targets one catch for zero yards on three targets and five for 101 on nine targets. So maybe not a huge death knell. And he finished out the year, you know, uh, last year, uh, 65 yards, 62 yards, the zero yards, 101, 59, 75, 26, and then 128. So maybe not as bad for someone like Boyd who sees more intermediate targets. Uh, Dalton, do you have anything uh, that can make us feel better at T Higgins or are we really excited to just draft him next year? I mean, I think I think it definitely takes a hit for Higgins, and we saw his efficiency drop this game. He had his most targets he's ever seen um, in his short career so far with 10 targets, and he only turned that into three catches for 26 yards. Now, um, some of that was obviously bef- before Burrow went down, but again, even when Finley went in, he did still look to Higgins' way, which is promising. I think like from a perspective of targets and target share. Like I'm not sure that it's going to massively affect Higgins, but like Mike mentioned, the touchdown equity as long with the efficiency of what those targets are, um, the value is not necessarily going to be there. So I still do think that he's someone that is more of a wide receiver. Three is going to have some good weeks, just bet on talent, but then he's also going to have some really down weeks as well, just because the quarterback play is going to be there. And I think from a perspective of Boyd and Higgins, I think it's probably going to be 
one or the other in a given week rather than both of them balling out together, unfortunately. Um, yeah. In regards to Tyler Boyd, though, last year, I mean, you did mention some of the numbers, but I do think I still am optimistic about him. And I'm not I'm not willing to put him in that wide receiver three category. I think yeah, that really? he is a wide receiver two, like maybe a lower end wide receiver two. But um, in the four games he's played, Ryan Finley, he's averaged 13.2 PPR points, which is roughly around the range of a wide receiver two. So um, it's going to be pass first offense. It's not like they have Joe Mixon there anyway. So there's no threat of a run game. So in order to stay in games, like Gio Bernard thrives better as a pass catcher. What are they going to rely on Samaj P. Ryan to run this offense? I still think that they're going to be a, a pass heavier offense. And that means that the targets are going to be there for the guys. So, um, obviously this takes it takes a hit for everyone involved, but I'm not sure it's as massive um, to like completely take them out of my lineups right now. I think the concern is you had some sort of efficiency level that you could rely on with Burrow. They had a floor, and I think that floor has kind of been pulled out from underneath them. Like we talked about with Boyd last year catching one pass for five yards. I think that there's a very real situation that if you start Higgins, you can get a one for 11 or three catches like we saw last week. And Boyd, I think, has a little bit higher of a floor as being the, the slot guy there. But I think the concern is that he'll catch three passes for 35 yards and you'll be left with six points in your lineup. So the floor is really where I'm concerned, but definitely could be a lot of pass attempts and it could lead to a lot of catches um, that would save the fantasy performances for both of them. So Those are all good points. So where are you guys putting them? You know, like if they were, if we were talking, um, they were probably ranked in the mid-teens, like 17, 18, Higgins and Boyd both. Um, what, maybe let's say that's the DJ Moore range, if you will. What range are they in now, would you say? Are they in the, uh, you know, mid-20s, high-20s, low-30s? What, where do you think they get downgraded to? Let, let, let's, uh, let's do them individually. So uh, Boyd and Higgins individually. Mike, where do you have them kind of rest of the year in terms of wide receivers? I think Boyd drops to the late 20s and Higgins drops to the mid to early 30s. So maybe like 27 and like 33-ish, somewhere around there? Yeah, I think that's fair. Dalton? I'm a little more optimistic on Boyd. I think he's he's low 20s. I'd put him around like a guy like DJ Chark or Chris Godwin rest of the season. Um, Sounds like I'm you're pretty high on DJ Chark as well. <laughs> I mean, Gardner, Gardner coming back. I mean, you know, good things are potentially coming there. So that's like kind of the range that I'd put him in. And then for Higgins, um, I think putting him around a, like Devontae Parker kind of rage, like I think that's kind of where I would view him for the rest of the season. I will say, I, I do I do enjoy the optimism, Dalton. I've been, uh, been doom and gloom here all week. Man. I know Mike has too, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you're seeing it a bit. Of it. Were you a Ryan Finley guy at NC State? Or? Um, we don't have to comment on Ryan Finley. Let's just say... Uh, <laughs> Let's just say um, I I just I just have hopes. I mean, like I think I just think the the best point made was Mike talking about their floors, and we do have to understand that their floors are going to take a hit, and it's likely that we are going to see some of these bottom games for them. But I still do think that the games that we have seen, they're totally within reach. Like a, a six for like you know seventy five yards for a Boyd, like that could be like something that not we're seeing on a regular basis, but like he throws in a touch on there, it's twenty points, and I don't know if like. I'm willing to just forego like that stat line when there's going to be a lot of. Um, well, one problem there. is that w- where were they in terms of pace? Do you guys know? I think they were at least middle of the pack or like upper third. 
Um, let me go check this out real quick. But but my point I is I know like, they were the, the second pass heaviest in, in a neutral in game script, right? So maybe yes. that doesn't change, but maybe the sheer amount of plays that they run does. Um, but with their defense, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, just, just I mean, not they, good. The concern is they become one of those teams that can just have no fantasy options in a given week. They become a concern yeah, of We being saw what happened to the Cowboys. The Cowboys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's very serious concern when you don't, I mean, there are time there are teams who are trotting out guys like Alex Smith who give them some sort of floor. We know he's captain dump down, but at least he completes some passes to McKissick. He's gotten McLaurin going and then kind of below that come guys who you don't know if they have any floor or if they're going to be able to get like any Jake loot on. Yeah. You don't, or uh Danucci unfortunately is kind of the even lower yeah. type of guy so it's concerning that we don't know we have no reliability in Finley and it could drop to just really really ugly levels yeah so if you uh the Cincy uh offense is probably one to try and tee off against in uh for fantasy defenses uh, let's see their schedule coming up here really quick. I think the Giants suddenly are who have been a really under the radar fantasy defense. They got a matchup with them coming up. Miami, uh, Dallas, Cincinnati in week 14. That's going to be a barn burner. Um, so yeah, no, no good news for everyone, but thank you Dalton for providing a little bit of optimism for, <laughs> for yeah, us. And I, th- I think touching on the schedule though, like it, it does bring some optimism there with the Giants as well as the Cowboys coming up recently, and the Steelers yeah, have also been pretty true. poor again, and the Texans too. So, like outside of the Dolphins, like th- there's a pretty reasonable schedule there to where like these guys can actually like at least be somewhat productive, right? And Boyd still at 17.5 of the Lawless from Burrow against a really tough matchup in, in the Redskins. So, you know, hopefully they can still be high end wide receiver threes. Uh, why don't we move on to something that the the fun part, <laughs> the the part that'll make us smile on this segment, and that is things we're thankful for you know we all here at apex as everyone their uh, own fantasy leagues do we complain about injuries and underperformers and our coaching but it's time for some things to be thankful for it's been a rough year why don't we focus on the positive so we're each going to say a couple things that we are thankful for in the context of football and i will begin with i am thankful that the Seahawks are finally letting Russ cook. You know, uh, when I was doing our projections for Apex this year in terms of tiers for quarterbacks, the only time Russell Wilson finished in like the top 10 or something of pass attempts, he finishes the quarterback one. And we always thought, oh, Brian Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll, wonder what could happen if they really uh, let uh, ran a very fast-paced, pass-heavy offense. And here we are. I think they're either number one or at lowest number two in passing in a neutral game script. They have absolutely unlocked Tyler Lockett and especially seeing DK Metcalf's second year breakout was, I think, better than, like, you know, guys, we imagine what could happen if they unleashed Metcalf. I think this was the ceiling. Like, I didn't, I, I thought this was the best it could get. And so that's been really great to see. One of the few good things about 2020 and the fact that their pass defense has been so bad that we just let get to see Russ Wilson attempt 45 passes a week. I am thankful for that. I think that's wonderful too. It's, I mean, it's one of those things where you would assume that it would happen automatically if we could assume rational coaching, but finally they recognize that the strength of their football team is Russell Wilson's arm and their receivers, and now they're taking advantage of it, and it's just awesome to see as a football fan. What, what's, what's your thankful uh, 
thankful moment, Mike. So I'm very excited that teams are going for it on fourth down more than ever. Nice. We know that teams just haven't taken advantage of something that seems so inherently obvious. Um, But finally, teams are realizing that their win probability increases when they go for it in situations like fourth and one and fourth, fourth and two. And in previous years, I took a look from 1994 to last season, teams went for it on average on fourth down uh, 12.72% of the time. If you look at 2020 alone, um, out of 2,137 fourth downs, teams have gone for it 18.02% of the time. So we've seen a five, almost a five and a half percent increase of how often teams are going for it. On well, it's really down. like a 50% increase, like 12 to 18. That's, that, that's awesome. Yes, yes. So we're seeing a big jump across the board, and it's just really awesome to see that teams are recognizing this. And it makes football more fun to watch from a strategic component and also just enjoying that pass catchers are involved on fourth down. There's kind of more limitless opportunities than the past where we would just see teams, you know, you get to that fourth down and you know that a team is punting it or kicking a field goal. And it's awesome to see that that is no longer the norm and that there's a lot to gain by going for it on fourth down and teams are adjusting and taking advantage of the opportunity. And it's, it's people following analytics, you know, it's validation for the nerds like us. This is great. Uh, keep listening to the nerds football teams. Uh, Dalton, what's your, uh, what are you thankful for? Uh, I'm thankful for AJ Brown. Oh, shocker. He, (laughs) He is just an absolute beast. Um, Every single week other than um, week 10 and week one in which he got hurt and he has scored a touchdown in those weeks. And what he's done is he's had a consistent uh, floor. He's had at least seven targets in uh, all but one week. And he's really made the most of his opportunities. Last week, he had like one target heading into halftime. And then he just completely makes the most of his opportunities on that last drive there and turns what should have been a seven yard gain into an absolutely fantastic touchdown in which he just used his pure talent and strength to um, get into the end zone there. And I think that that's a thing that really has, you know, made his quote unquote um, unsustainable efficiency still um, he's still been able to be efficient is because he's been that good of a player. And it's just really exciting to see him being utilized in that way. And um, we were one drop away from AJ Brown from scoring in seven straight games. He's been a wide receiver one. Um, and points per game has been back. And it's just, just really exciting, even though he's been in a run-first offense, to see him still produce in that role. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited and thrilled for him. Is he your, Where is he in terms of your dynasty? Is he your wide receiver one in dynasty? He's wide receiver one. Right. Is that even a question? Uh, I, I just wanted to – I wanted to hear those words out loud. I think um, – no, as a <laughs> Titans fan, I was – you could say I was thrilled with what happened on that uh, just beast mode catch that he had to score that touchdown. Um, why don't we do one more thing each uh, that we're thankful for? Um, I am thankful for the Ryan Tannehills, Kalen Balages, and Robbie Andersons of the world, and even guys like Jamal Adams, for just showing just how terrible Adam Gase is as a coach. You know, not only did he temporarily make me eat my words that Jamison Crowder was uh, was not a ceiling play at all, but uh, you know, it it kind of confirms what. A lot of us, you know, sitting here watching the game, commenting on Twitter, 
a lot of people discount those opinions, but I think the fantasy community was just right all along about Adam Gase. Um, and I, it makes me wonder what Sam Darnold could be if he was coached by someone even like a Sean McVay or even like like a Mike Vrabel. Like, it doesn't have to be like a McVay-type genius, but... You know, Jets fans, I wish I could say it, it might get better. Maybe without Gase next year. I can't imagine him and Patricia are coming back. Um, but uh, it, it's just great to see Twitter vindicated and the Adam Gase hatred in terms of fantasy owners vindicated. It's just, you know, as much as we love seeing people uh, Russ cooking, uh, we don't like Adam Gase and what he does to our fantasy players. So I'm, I'm so glad he's been uh, – he's, he's had some – uh, pie thrown at him, if you will. Yeah, just just so we're clear, um, on that list, you mentioned guys who balled out, and the next person on that list is going to be uh, our boy, uh, Chris Herndon. Right, he's just been absolutely coming. decimated by Adam Gase, and that's that's the greatest excuse possible. Is, is we don't take the L on Chris Herndon this year. Adam Gase takes the L. We are no, handing well, that L to Adam Gase, and we are going to wait until next year, whether he's on a new team or they get a new coach, and then we're going to see the real Chris Herndon. I can see it now. Year. Packers trade six round pick for Chris Herndon. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I can see it right now. That. Mike, what else are you thankful for? I'm thankful for second year wide receivers breaking out consistently. I think it's kind of the key to fantasy football and it's the gift that keeps on giving. Every year we have a new opportunity to hit on these second year wide receivers. And whether it's Five years ago, two years ago, it just continues to happen. This year, we're seeing it with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, which you two are very excited about. But we're also seeing it with Terry McLaurin. We're seeing it with Deontay Johnson. And it's just so awesome that we continue to gain advantage from these young players who are coming into their own and breaking out. And for whatever reason, the secret continues to be hidden, no matter how many people we try and tell, Rotoviz tries to tell. These second-year wide receivers remain kind of a secret in fantasy in terms of gaining an edge and gaining an advantage. And again, this year we see it paying off. So I'm very thankful that we continue to have these second-year wide receivers uh, help our fantasy teams out. And uh, I dare say that maybe, just maybe, we'll be excited to draft second-year wide receivers again next year. Just yes, <laughs> I think that there's there's many we've talked about today. Justin Jefferson will be drafting you next Claypool. year. So there, there are many. Yeah, uh, we don't need to, to go count. into all of that because we will have many podcasts about it this offseason. Dalton, I mean, uh, I mean, that, speaking that, of, though, like, yeah. the thing that I'm thankful for is the rookies before they become second-year players. And right now, and what we've just seen from this entire class, it's – almost unheard of in terms of just the sheer talent at quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Obviously with Burrow going down, um, that was a massive blow. But again, Justin Herbert has been the fourth fantasy quarterback in points per game, just absolutely balling, about to shatter all the rookie quarterback records that we've seen, um, which is just like phenomenal. And then we're looking at the running back position. We have five rookie running backs in the top 16 in fantasy points. We have James Robinson at number four. We have Clyde edwards Slayer at number 10. We have Antonio Gibson at 11, DeAndre Swift at 15, and even Jonathan Taylor is currently the 16th ranked running back. And that's not even including a guy like J.K. Dobbins, who we're now seeing, obviously before he got COVID, he was he finally saw her workhorse role. And it's really exciting to see what he's going to be able to do to finish the season. And then last, in the last couple of weeks, he's kind of seen Cam Akers get into some sort of... Um, 
you know, role with the Rams. So hopefully he can get started and do some things for them as well. And then not to mention the the insane wide receiver class that potentially, you know, it is historic, but potentially could be, you know, if not one of the best, potentially rivals the 2014 class. Uh, we've seen um, Chase Claypool and Justin Jefferson in terms of their first 10 career games, both of them are top seven all time in PPR scoring. Chase Claypool has 10 touchdowns, which is the most by any wide receiver ever in their first 10 games. Justin Jefferson is fourth all time in receiving yards through um, 10 games. And he has 14.3 yards per target, which if he, you know, even eclipses over 12.5 would be the most efficient wide receiver season we've seen ever. A.J. Brown last year, the most efficient wide receiver season ever at 12.5 yards per second. And Justin Jefferson's at 14.3. Justin Jefferson's a superstar. Chase Claypool looks to be a superstar. And then obviously with, you know, Joe Burrow going down, that hurts T. Higgins. But T. Higgins has also been a top 26 receiver, as has C.D. Lamb. So we've had four wide re- rookie wide receivers in the top 26 of fancy scoring and that's not including Brandon Ayuk who's 21st in points per game amongst wide receivers and then we're starting to see guys like Michael Pittman ball out now um he's been really efficient he's looked good Jalen Rager's starting to get some looks as well Denzel Mims even with the Jets he's been efficient and he's and he's shown flashes as well so like there's so many guys I'm, I'm sure there's guys I'm missing too but it, it's just so exciting to see a, a big um breadth of wide receiver talent just get influxed in and not only that we're seeing it get influxed in but they're actually being productive as rookies and it it just makes me extremely excited about the future um not only um of these individual groups but as the sport as a whole as you see this these young guys just really take over and start to create this revolution of young players in the league Dalton, it sounds like you kind of like the rookies of of this class uh you know just maybe just a tad that was that was inspiring. I uh, the, your passion was felt uh, all the way from from the East Coast. Um, so remember, the number one thing to be thankful for in terms of football is that we have a season at all. You know, a few months ago, we just weren't sure whether it was going to happen at all. But here we are, a couple delayed games, some COVID outbreaks, but all in all, could be a lot worse. So we all complain about our teams, players, performances, but this Thanksgiving. Look at your fantasy team and just thank them for being there and helping us through this tough year. That is all we got for you this week on the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Enjoy your Thanksgiving games. Enjoy the family. Enjoy the uh, the entire week and the holiday season. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week.